Hello there. My name is Ruben and welcome to my podcast. On the show I speak to a bunch of my friends about the experiences and learnings over the last 10 years. If you know me, there's a high chance you'll know many people on the show. So tune in to find out more about what they've been up to all these years. In today's episode I'm speaking with Joe. We talk about his rather unplanned journey into the world of art and his experiences along the way. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks for taking time, Joe. <laughs> I'm I'm happy to be here. So yeah, why don't we start? We we all left college in in 2013 and I was just yeah. on points of your journey so far and it's been quite an interesting mm. one. Um but yeah, why yeah. don't we start with you just walking through what the last 7 last 7 years have been for you? Yeah. I mean I don't know if it's as much walking through as like hopping through because I really wouldn't have known um I would be working for an auction house. Um currently I'm working for an in a luxury auction house in India called Sapranath. But certainly when I left um Stevens or or even just before leaving Stevens I I did not know what I would be doing. Um I think college in many ways kind of was interesting because uh, I, Stevens is built like that also for you to think kind of uh, around you know things you often think about is the civil uh, public policy or studying further um, in your spheres uh, like economics and also one of the thoughts for me was getting into politics in some form of uh, way or manner because that's always been interesting to me um it still is so there was i don't know the lamp fellowship which 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 I tried but it was an election year coming up they didn't take anyone i did have this job at hand like which which i'd gotten during the campus placement um and from there started this streak of just taking what was right in front of me because it just made sense at that point of time um uh, starting with this first job which was stress uh, uh, which was bristlecone oh i don't even remember the name because it seems so far Back. but yeah it was a supply chain consultancy uh, which wanted to hire from stevens and always used to hire uh, from stevens and um, it uh, i took that literally because one it was in a different city a city i didn't know pune and two i had the job and i didn't want to be jobless i guess uh, there's always a lot of intimidation of getting out with a job um, when you leave college three i think it was just because i mean i think i started doing this routine of trying to make sense and how it made sense was a year year and a half of corporate exposure is just going to help you in any way to come so yeah went for it i think it was a really bad <laughs> uh year and a half because i mean i think the job was quite boring uh, and uh, i had gone through my breakup <laughs> then and uh, all you friends were stuck in delhi so it was it was it was a bit weird um then i remember the just wanting to figure out what i want to do next and i was just in a pretty bad place then um i come back home uh for one of the vacations and i met with the kochi biennale team so i am from kochi uh, uh in kerala and the biennale is one of uh, one of the world's biggest art events which happened to happen in kochi um while i was in college i had interned with them so it's a very small team uh, during the second edition so the the founder riaz had just said why don't you just join if you're not enjoying work just cut and join 
and he gave me a timeline of 3 weeks to join and any notice period is a month um so i remember but i was just so latched on to it i guess because maybe there was a void got so latched on to it um i went back immediately and the aim was to find the perfect resignation letter where somehow they would relieve me of if in a week great but just before the one month oh actually the three month notice period which was there in the company so it was a gamble and i wrote this beautiful letter saying that it would be the in their best benefit to let me go without notice because my mind is switched off um and you're just going to waste your money on me with another two months worth of salary yeah and they did let me go within a week uh backed up and came yeah. back to cochin it was good to be back in cochin because i think like a lot of us who were friends in college we all came from different parts of the country leaving behind our families um and then somewhat made that little weird mix of friends slash family kind of a vibe which we all had living on campus also i think that was very important um so in many ways it was in a way didn't know when we would go back and stay with your family friend, uh, stay stay back home in your hometown so i thought i'll just take it up the opportunity it wouldn't it wasn't paying much but i think thankfully my priorities were set right that i didn't i didn't want to be paid i just want to maybe spend some time with my family and again i think what drove me was those immediate things what made sense uh going back to coaching spending time with family being in an art event my dad we have an art residency in kerala so dads into art moms into education those are two fields which i wanted to test out anyways i do want to come back to the art part because that's like a yeah, which i'm still in <laughs> you're still in you mentioned about you know you never knew that you would end up in auction or you had no clue yeah i didn't even know there were auction houses in india <laughs> so so right after college if not yeah. for politics what do you think at that point of time you wanted to do i i you know i'm facing some sort of that dilemma right now when i'm trying to see what plans i want to make for the next 20 years um, i find it very hard to figure out what i would want to do in the next 20 years um i find it much easier to strike out what i don't want to do so and i always have these inclinations but i can never never like you know point and say this is where i want to be headed um and it's quite impulsive in many ways it's worked for me but say that and i'm very much in the present so it i think it's just impossible for me to think further on to see what i want to do mm. so at that time i'm quite sure i want to do something around politics or something i mean the young india fellowship was there which seemed uh, i mean not politics but still aiming towards maybe the similar direction mm. um i remember i stood for elections in college and i lost uh, mm. but soon after that uh, the local mp from kerala who knew me through my dad um had asked me to come to his official quarters in delhi and give me an offer to join youth congress mm. uh, also um but seriously that that type of party politics is not what i want to do so yeah honestly i had no clue what i wanted to do and i think in situations where i stress out i immediately look for those immediate quick benefits or what's out there in front of me and make a decision and get on with it mm. so yeah i don't think there was anything much stronger than wanting to get into politics mm. after college and i and certainly didn't want to study any more economics mm. um yeah and i don't think much of this consulting banking sphere was meant for me so when you think back 
um and not like for lack of better word not having a very long term plan right a lot of us at least when i think back um a lot of people in college had this long plan right especially you know the guys yeah. from the business school like intimidating as hell <laughs> they had it planned out for like 6 7 8 years right like you would work yeah. and then you would go to business school and then you would work and pay off yeah. your loan and then yeah. all of that. yeah when you look back do, do you think that that strategy of just not having a long term plan has worked or has not worked no for me for cert, like i'm very glad i didn't have a long term plan because i i am highly restless as a person um and you know if if it doesn't make sense for me uh you know i i need to move out and move on for towards something else so something like a long term plan would have made that even harder to get out of mm-hmm. um and to be honest i i really want to check up on all these people who had 10 year plans and see where they are uh <laughs> so i i mean i think it's just a sense of security and safety to have such plans uh, one which i've never had which has always intimidated me but in hindsight i think i i think it was very beneficial that i didn't have a plan i was able to jump it's like for me i like backpacking it's like backpacking solo when you backpack with someone and then you have this proper plan laid out you're you're kind of restricted but we're just backpacking with just some idea and then you're on your own there's so many things you can do and then you're just very free and liberated in that manner to choose what you want to choose and not have any kind of thing blocking that so yeah. do you sometimes feel that this might like just make you a bit more impulsive not think deeply about stuff just jump at whatever you know yeah. at the end of you yeah no that that's always a conflict and you know uh, uh and i i think as you get older that thought becomes scarier because you know you should get your act together i mean i think you can just be a bit more naive and a bit more stubborn when you're much younger um especially when that 30 year mark is ticking close to you and there's this weird notion that post 30 things better start settling down i i'm super curious i've heard this term in so many different ways what does it mean to get your i think i might have even heard it from you ruben <laughs> what does it mean to get your act together what does it mean to like settle down what does it mean to you yeah i mean fair enough if you ask like that then clearly doesn't really make much sense in such a fluid and fast moving world but um i guess it's notions on what you thought getting your act together when you were getting out of college years which i guess in your broke in your 20s and you party in your 20s uh 30s was when you kind of obviously you had 10 years so you might as well have figured it out uh, on what you want to do but you're still broke i guess um and you know aiming to get there you you know make those slight adjustments 40s is when i mean either you have a really like you have a family life kind of a thing or your i don't know i mean i don't know the other side of it is maybe still backpacking and enjoying like your 20s and 50s is when you think you retirement 60s is when you retire i i have no clue i guess these are just what 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 was yeah but like i mean having said that i think it's good to have certain check check checkpoint i mean even if it doesn't even if whatever that checkpoint means uh to different people differently and different people in different countries differently but it's good to have those checkpoints it makes you forces you to think I know your mom's a, a principal at a school. Yes. How, how, how yeah. does she react to this line of thought of uh, settling down in your thirties or whatever? Like just not having a very defined plan and 
Yeah, so I actually had a conversation with her just a week back uh, about um, plans ahead. Hmm. Um, you know, it's always that topic you try to avoid with your parents because plans ahead is also bundled with what about getting married and all of that stuff. Um, so, but no, she, 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 both my parents actually, for that matter, have always been, always allowed me to do whatever I want to do as long as they show I know what I'm doing and there's some sense of uh, rationale and and not um, I don't know maybe not like careless I guess mm. uh, but she 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 was also saying you need to have a plan you need to have like a ten year twenty year plan and you know that's that's what I want to come back to last seven years none of the jobs I chose on other places was as an outcome of a thought through plan it was an impulsive mm. decision but it made sense I know I wasn't stupid I I know it made sense I did those basic safety net checks or whatever mm-hmm. um to make sure it wasn't a stupid decision uh, but but yeah so what i was telling you is that last 7 years has happened in that manner and maybe there's a reason why it's happened in that manner and it's just impossible i've tried it's just impossible to plan so far ahead uh, and you know one of those things which really help you is that you know, there's that saying or whatever there was this study not to show what the source is but most most of what you study in mba because it's so up to date um is redundant i mean a lot of what you study in mba or on many of these technical courses um is redundant by the time you pass out that whole concept of it makes sense so why plan then see what works for you then and there and then kind of chart out how it makes like whatever sense it makes to you yeah i think that makes a lot of sense Um, yeah. So moving on to something which was not in plan, you landing up in yeah. the art and auction world. So yeah. we, we were at we were at the Kochi Biennale, and I remember you were you were working there for a couple of couple of months, if I'm not wrong. Mm. Um, and then you suddenly, all of a sudden, you know, you're doing auctions. Um, yeah. Walk me through <laughs> what happened. Well, I mean, auctions was just a bit later. So. um the kochi biennale plan happened i joined the team i did whatever they asked me to do and i think that's also important to have gotten that varied experience um like i said my dad's in locally into art in kerala we have an art residency there so i was exposed to it and i did want to touch upon education and art as things if i want to see if there are some career options around it um so again it's making sense of what you do so this kochi biennale stint kind of made sense in that manner uh but i realized in many ways i was very much inclined towards the business side of things yeah and and not so much the scholarly side of things i mean um biennale is heavily a scholarly i mean it is an event to host yes but but it was very much touching up on the scholarly side very common things which people ask is what do you understand from this work and then you know that you see the contrast in what a lot of art and what the artist says about their work and what a common man in kerala or kochi just goes around and makes sense of it and then suddenly there are these two narratives or three narratives which come about and all are right but everyone's intimidated about what is the correct one mm-hmm. um and you kind of get into the scholarly side uh, kind of i kind of realized that stint was done in the there was a four stop anyways because the biennale was for a year uh, for a few months so i finished a year plus over there I was figuring out what I want to do. I remember getting a call from OEO, someone, one of our friends who was working in OEO, and they wanted to set up a office in Kerala at that time. 
um that's around the time mom also quit and wanted to start a new school and i've always wanted to start school she took over management of a school so i thought i'll help her out there quite a bit of branding and whatever is required to start a new school yeah then i realized it's time to get out of coaching because you spend a year in coaching you realize it's it's a bit slow mm-hmm. so then my aim was to move out of kerala i this i mean and the stint with the auction house which i work for right now is very very random uh i was in cochin chilling with um, i mean in bombay chilling with amita after these two jobs and just yeah and then my next trip was delhi to chill with you guys and i remember being here and then riaz the artist the founder of the bernali who it's called be he was in bombay too and said do you want to come for a preview so i said sure i was going in riaz's car over the ceiling and i was like what a beautiful cityscape i i know this sounds very like cheesy or whatever but uh, there are these certain visuals which always stick with me and one of them was the friends and the friends the tv show they they always have these fans of the uh, the cityscape in the us i mean this uh, new york i think and uh, you know i've always wanted to be in a big city uh, work in a big city to me bombay was that for a long time until i got to stevens instead of xavier um so i was like maybe it's time to come back it'll be a beautiful place and so riaz then suggested well, if you want to work in bombay and if you want to be in the art scene uh, i'll speak to dinesh who's the co-founder and my boss um, at this my, my current place the auction house also is a business site might fit your bill kind of thing and i remember being latched onto it uh, a few days later there was an auction the saffron art the auction house i'm talking about where i work was conducting for the kochi biennale as a fundraiser um i was not meant to be there but i decided to just stay back to see it or watch it and i was just you know i mean there were these people bidding for paintings at 60 65 lakhs and i was like whoa i mean i was just you know and i didn't know this was there in india and i was so excited um so again that void of figuring out what i want to do suddenly it was like what if it's this? it could be great it's bombay plus it's art plus it's business side i know like for a fact that among most of the people we know like you have a very strong like affinity to bombay so when you had yeah. this moment of an awe right like maybe we can start with bombay and then the entire auction world what in yeah. it just attracted you or created a sense of awe uh, in you well i mean there are two sides to it one is before i started my work here and what i thought of bombay mm-hmm. and then one side then for the last 5 years i've been here and yeah most certainly i choose to call it bombay instead of mumbai i think i think this i mean a lot of people will argue that with you i mean whatever it just works better it fits the bill better yeah. um, but um what i wanted to oh, that all i had about bombay was i think when when we came to drop my brother in bombay um at that time seeing the south bombay beautiful buildings the english buildings the cobbled streets the sidewalks and this the general vibe of xavier's freedom and you know you coming from a city like kochi it's a small city you know everyone there there's not colonial charm i mean there is but um so all of that was there so whatever impression i had of bombay was from a few visits of wanting to drop my brother here and i remember i was seen just walking on cobble street i don't know what the deal was but i wanted to walk on cobble street aimlessly then this opportunity did come um again i was exposed to bandra where i stay and my thing is i i'm going to um, i don't know sell a kidney but i'll try to stay in bandra somehow I, i used to have a beach house it's just a house on the beach which leaked i used to have a bucket in between my legs 
<laughs> where I used to sleep because it just used to leak. But the awe continued on, and maybe in different ways, which is beautiful. Um, and the awe was always in contrast to Delhi, mm-hmm. and maybe that's why the awe made it better because. I always judge a city by the average person on the road. In Bombay, no one has the time to put their head into your business. Mm. But if you need help, they'll always go out of their way to help you. Um, there's always that sense of safety. You ask any people who've been in Bombay and Delhi, you you can get back home at 2 a.m. alone, any part mm. of Bombay. You can't do that after sunset in Delhi. Why is that everyone comes to Bombay and let's go of all of their bullshit, kind of takes upon this Bombay vibe because you have to follow this certain vibe. You always, you have to work hard. You can't survive here without working hard and earning that money because if you slack, it'll eat you up and chew you out. And and I think in Delhi, the contrast is everyone comes to Delhi and treats it like their whatever guest house or something. So everyone's negatives is just dumped on Delhi because they think they can do whatever they want. And I remember my uncle telling me, you know, it's very hard in Bombay, but if you really, really push through, if there's one city in India that you can actually push through and really work your hard and you can you can really achieve like maybe a dream you have in Bombay. It's just it's resilient like that and it allows for you to just go on and on and on. And I think everyone yeah, I think everyone knows that about each other and there's this mutual sense of respect. Other than that it's just chill, yeah. No one no one no one no one's there to put their head into your business. There's no judgment. Oh my God! The amount of people—I mean, I was—I was a bit scandalized at how liberal things are over here. <laughs> Tell me more. A, I mean, <laughs> there will be a client possibly coming in with their wife uh, for the proper viewings, and maybe there's a girlfriend coming in for an after-party or something like that. I was like, "What? What is happening? How is this correct?" <laughs> <laughs> is it—is this, uh, this Bombay or is this the art world? No, I think it's very much Bombay because no, oh, maybe there's, it's there in Delhi. It's just that we were too poor to see it in Delhi when we were in college. Uh, but there is a sense of love towards Bombay. A lot of it is, you know, just going on the ceiling. There's a lot of people just take a 70 rupee pass just to go on ceiling and just stare at the city. Everyone just comes to the promenade, sits and stares at the water. I don't know. There's some kind of charm to it. I think I over-romanticize it. But it works for me and I love the place. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so what about what about art? What what was that? And what is the awe yeah. about art and the auction? Auctions by itself is so entertaining and dramatic and all of that. And you, I've never wanted a tabletop kind of a job or a corporate job and just seem to have fit the bill perfectly. Um, mm-hmm. Or I make narratives on how it works for me. It's just made a perfect narrative. Let's put it at that. Um, yeah, it was a random interview after that auction I mentioned. There was this place called The Chambers, which overlooks Bombay and spot one of the best views of Bombay at Bandra, Taj Chambers. And uh, yeah, I, I met the co-founder, Dinesh, who said he had recognized me from the Biennale. I said, if I can have an internship. I said, I remember you. You come in for the interviews. If it works, you get a permanent job. If it doesn't, then there's no internship and all of that. Like, There's no FAF. And I mean, I really like that about him. It's very cutthroat, very this thing. So yeah, I did come for my interviews and I confidently, as always, bullshitted my way through everything and just speak. And <laughs> just just like, yeah, speak, vomit, just like how I'm doing now. And did, I did guess you, it worked. Did, did you carry your CV? I did, I did. I carried a very polished CV. But uh, I mean, you can't really 
Dinesh was from Harvard and Stanford. Minal, the, the co-founder, and Dinesh's wife is from INSEAD. Um, and I mean, you could, <laughs> your CV really didn't matter, honestly. I think they just wanted to see if you're good enough um, for whatever. And they hired me without a role, and I was just wandering around office for three months with some sourcing manager, some side role for one of the smaller companies. I think Dinesh, the boss, was trying to suss me out. And in three months, I got an offer to be his EA, and he had never had an EA for like 10, 15 years. Um, I saw that role as a secretarial role, but I remember many of my close friends kind of saying, no, it's actually a very strong role, which makes you learn the ropes and like uh, learn a lot of stuff. It's good. Um, and yeah, I took the job for two, two and a half years. Uh, for three years, I was a EA. Now I look after business development. But the charm is always there. I mean, it's an auction. It's dramatic. It's, there's a room full of people. The auctioneer is a hammer. There are phone bidders. There are clients all over. There's bids coming in from all around the world. Yeah, you sell, like, we just, in in between the, in between the pandemic, uh, just last month, we set a world record, the second most expensive Indian artwork sold at 35.5 crores. It's fun. The job is fun. Um, as well as it seems to be an interesting space to be in. And I've always found charm in being in an extremely niche area. Um, and yeah, it, it kind of checked all those boxes. Do, do you uh, ever feel that like, it's a it's like high stakes poker, right? Like people are talking in yeah. racks and crows. Yeah. How does that make you feel? Because I remember I attended <laughs> one of the auctions and I was yeah. highly intimidated. And I'm like, yeah what is this like? They're just bidding crows as yeah. though it's like... Yeah, yeah. so um, I actually do... A lot of the work I do for my boss, who's also a collector in the field, is also mine. Man, I mean, I, a fair bit you manage finances and then uh, you, you also kind of initiating payments on his behalf for paintings. He's bought. I, I think he's, he's asked me one thing, you know, what, what, what do you think of the values? Because sometimes bids are coming in crows and... You know, at higher values, each bid is a crow. So it's like 13 crow, 14 crow, 15 crow. I don't even have a crow. He's bidding one, 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 one crow. So he had asked me this question. And, and this is what I said. I've never seen more than two lakhs or a lakh and a half in my bank account. So anything up to that one, one and a half lakhs, I really feel it. Uh, anything beyond two, three lakhs, it's just numbers. It's just certain digits with a lot of zeros. And maybe that helps because... It, it it kind of makes you work unemotionally. It's just digits and numbers and you just want to achieve it. Not so much for the person who's buying the painting or the person who's selling the painting. But but I guess as intermediaries, it's, yeah, it just falls down to va achieving value. It's fun. It's good to know that there is a market like that in India. It's good to know Indian culture, Indian paintings are valued at that much. Yeah, and I've, I've never seen anything like this. Like, like a 20, 30 crore painting will be bid in like a minute, minute and a half, and you see bids flying of one, 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 one crow. It's 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 fun to be part of it and not for it to be your money. <laughs> you you've been like super close to these paintings, right? Yeah. Do you ever think you would pay twenty crores, assuming that you had lots of money for a painting like that? Sure. Yes. I mean, if I had that kind of money and the kind of paintings which we it, these are not random guesses. These are not random. It's not a rich person just throwing away some a lot of money to buy what is perceived as this thing. It's extremely resilient and thought through decisions uh, where you are actually making a cost benefit analysis and trying to hedge what 
possibly the value could be in the future and also in the end getting an important piece of indian art and culture visually it's not just a digital instrument or anything you're buying so yes because i know that the 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 paintings with select crows and all are actually valued at that much and the indian art market even in the 2008 financial crisis and till now what we see is been quite resilient for that level of art and this is the art of the tagors the husains the people who were practicing in the 40s 50s 60s yeah and it's it's not impulsive buys these are very well thought through uh by so i know for a fact if i had that money and if i was exposed to this market for sure i would buy because there's pride in achieving that unique piece of indian culture and artwork um but also it turns out to be good financial uh, investment mm. so for sure i i already do invest wherever i have uh, to whatever level i can afford um so for sure yeah i i really where, where, where do you invest where, where do you invest I have like very little savings and I always 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 have been cribbed and crying and feeling sad about that then I've realized I've actually bid on quite a few artworks and I've I have a stock of artworks which I have and I know I've got it at a good price because when you're in the industry you know market values one of the things the auction houses do is put out market values I have some contemporary indian art I have some Ethan Souza is an artist from Goa where you're from he's a pretty famous artist I have a Souza work small little drawing few things we have some good books auctions some good collectibles auctions so i have random things here and there which um, yeah between paintings and collectibles i have some stuff <laughs> i think i think you'll probably be the only person on the entire podcast who has collections in art <laughs> yeah but i mean just it would seem stupid if i didn't do that i mean you're you're in it you're literally your business like i said it's it's still very much a business a company which has a product which is painting so it works in that sense so yeah it only makes sense i guess yeah okay i so, i do have a crazy antiquity from like 1200 years old like like what is and that? this, that's the thing if if you, if you just participate and you participate in auctions you like i the antiquity which i got was for like around 80 80000 rupees or something mm. like that it's a 1200 year old sculpture um registered by the government so that that we spend some time and actually learn up a little bit it can be very 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 uh fulfilling to participate in these things also got it <laughs> so so fast forwarding a yeah. couple of years and and i don't know yeah. if you if you want to talk about it or not very recently you were involved in a very exciting little auction Uh, but oh yeah no i can talk about, talk about it we can, we can do whatever it. i can talk about <laughs> yeah, why don't we talk about the most recent exciting auction you did so it was it was a first for us it was the first in many ways for the government in 2019 um, there was a tender raised by the income tax department the central circles for an auction of seized artworks at around in march 2019 you kind of knew one of two people who sees artworks it could have been it either could have been nirav modi's or it could have been vijay malia's i guess there was a tender raised and i thought it was very good on behalf of the income tax department to take that call to reach out to professional auction houses to see who can do it best and mind you the income tax department has something called the tax recovery officer whose sole job is to get assets uh, which are seized and to liquidate it and uh, put it back into the government coffers as money they have a tax recovery officer's manual which is a specific manual on liquidating different assets and still that with that level of specialization they realize that 
the assets which they were seized were art um and maybe there is a need to bring in art expert uh, so there was a tender raised and uh, there were certain things which were need to be filled and we we gave in the tender and we got to know that um we were selected that was good um i was one of the two people who the company had sent for any kind of dealings with the income tax department because i guess everyone's a bit wary when it comes to income tax department i remember when i got the call saying hey we have to go to the income tax department for a meeting i was uh, shitting bricks to be honest i was like what is this what is this what is this like is it a raid or what i don't want to be part of this and i remember i was in kerala then i was like i'm going to stay back here. i'm not going to go back <laughs> kind of a thing but then they said no no it's good news it's it's for a possible tender around i think see 60 70 paintings of uh, nirav modi's which was seized uh, we did what we do best uh, research on it create a beautiful catalog to lug like, two or three luxury previews and put it up online for anyone to buy uh, and the auction was successful the auction was um, yeah it raised around 55 crores which was given to the government within i think a month month and a half and it set certain precedents that the first time that the government was partnering with a private player it is a, i think i think from whatever research i've done it was one of the best uh, auctions in terms of having the auction getting the money and back into the government coffers so in many ways i think it was good on their part and one thing which i realized is like the income tax department the senior officers they they are different made out of different i mean they're so good me dealing with them is like dealing with c level people of fortune 500 companies they're extremely smart extremely professional and and it just was a very very good experience and we were glad to be part of it it was not just one department which had raided mr modi so the enforcement directorate also had raided um, and they also had their set of assets which um, i guess at some point was meant to be liquidated well the thing is all of these are perishable assets so the more they stay in an idle position it depreciates its value so if you were trying to recover some money from it even if it is just damaged or destroyed over time because it's not this thing so depreciable assets i guess could be option ed then uh, raised a similar tender a year later so i think um, i mean feb um, this 2020 and again we participated in that tender process um um uh, yeah and other than artworks there was this time there were two luxury cars um a lot of bags omes bags and some watches so but again a very very successful sale um uh, half was done online half was live the officers were very happy and in that way i think it was good for the company and for the indian art market that there is like it set precedent yeah the government recovery could be done through private players also partnering with them it was a very successful model um it was the first time the certain act called the fugitive, fugitive economic offenders act i guess was also used i'm not too sure which act they did the option under but Yeah, what a crazy experience! So I never knew I would be speaking to enforcement directorate officers or IT officers, uh, but again, very professionally done again by the ED team, and it was like normal business, uh, like as always, and we were happy to deliver. And I was extremely glad to be part of that process, and very thankful for my bosses to include me in the team, which kind of was working on it. 
Yeah, yeah, so two very highly controversial, funny, exciting, successful auctions in the last two years, which were honestly my highlights for the last two years of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's absolutely crazy. Like, yeah. there's a show on Netflix about all of these guys, and you yeah. are part of like auctioning their stuff off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, crazy. and um, I'll I'll tell you something about that show. Uh, the show had come. i think knocking on our doors also uh, anything happened to us that mm. matter but yeah the the show is quite it's very much what it is <laughs> so from the guy who knows it from the inside um no i mean it's very much just in the end it's like i mean when when you talk about it as a viewer and insider but it's literally there are a few pieces of things which need to be liquidated it was handed over to you after a tender process you sold it well and yeah i think that's yeah. the start and end crazy, of it crazy is crazy <laughs> nonetheless so so yeah. i think to like to to probably you know i, I know we are we are running towards the end of it but where are you now because i know this art journey for you has been five five years at least um and it's been uh, art has been more but yeah the auction house specifically is just finished five years yeah mm. so, uh, so where are you now i i i mean like i'm very much still here uh very much in bombay very much uh, at at uh, the work and a lot of my projects i see what i do is very volatile in terms of it there's many months worth of research and you work towards it and then suddenly it comes and then you execute it for three months and then there's a lull period um i'm trying to best see how i use up my lull period but uh, the lockdown has not been count, uh, kind Uh, to me um it happened i think a few weeks right after the auction itself the nirumo the auction which we did for the enforcement directorate and yeah i mean lock lockdown in mumbai means lock up um and uh, it's not like you have big houses in bombay so you're literally locked up in your room kind of thing most of the time the isolation got to me i think there was a fair bit of anxiety um, i did have i believe my first anxiety attack in between the building next door tumbled down and kind of fell into my building recently and i thought i was going to die in those few seconds um yeah it's a five story building which actually was unused but it it beams gave in and then just crashed fell and crashed into us one person who died downstairs it was so volatile the whole covid thing was madness the isolation got to me uh but yeah i think it got me to do a lot of thinking and a lot of evaluation on what i've been doing till now and what next i'm still very much in the process but um i think the attention is a lot towards taking care of yourself i think it's a lot to do with the age and the speed at which you work and bombay like you just don't address a lot of things which are uncomfortable to you just park it and at some point i guess it manifests and comes out and i guess in many ways like the lockdown has made you think and 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 yeah i'm still in the process of figuring out but i'm very much figuring out i don't know uh the art world the auction world is certainly very exciting and if if i can find newer projects in this manner it'll be very exciting too on the other hand the luxury market will be hit generally in financial crisis a year later or a year and a half later so that 2021 2022 could be a bit shaky in that manner mm-hmm. I I honestly don't know. I there, there's this thing about politics which still excites me like in college. Yeah, I always flirt with it. Um never really take a step. So God knows, I guess it's a series of confusions for hopefully culminating into a good 2021 and onwards. I have no clue. 
but let's see <laughs> I, i i love how comfortable you are saying that you have no clue um because yeah. likewise where i am right yeah. now i actually have no clue <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm keeping myself busy doing a podcast yeah but but to be and, honest i think not many people have a clue they they're winging it yeah yeah and and i think in many ways it's just a matter of who says it out loud and who doesn't i guess but how can you possibly know what's going to happen yeah in the covid world i mean the economy is just all over the place everyone's individual companies are going through whatever the lockdowns or whatever it's having an impact on your head on your family on your health how much ever you have a clue i don't think that clue is going to even stick around or or it's going to so so my result is get on with it uh, in malayalam there's a saying randam kalpicha munnote is just whatever it is whatever may be let it come you go forward and yeah i mean for me maybe it's a bit easier because last 7 years i've never had a clue what i wanted to do <laughs> and it's always whatever decisions i've taken have always turned out to be amazing and great and last 7 years has been great in terms of my work life absolutely wouldn't have predicted it uh, or wouldn't have even even if this was planned maybe wouldn't have gone ahead with it so i think i'm more comfortable knowing that i have no clue what's going to come <laughs> Yeah, um, I think that's yeah. that's a superpower. Yeah, and then you put a brave face to act as if you don't care, also. But then after the call, you go and just <laughs> like wonder. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think to maybe like just wrap up, and this was one thing I, I I wanted to maybe start with, but I'll probably end with. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Joe I remember from college is very different from the Joe I know today. What do you think has changed, and and what has and why do you think that changed? Finally. I had my first ever therapy session. I went to meet a therapist yesterday. Um my first ever session and I decided to like tame that side of me or that beast by actually just taking that forward and being whether you need it or not or whatever it is just in terms of health and wellness and taking care of yourself. And um, yeah, and the conclusion which I had drawn from there is certainly not the person I was in school. and now you're saying i'm suddenly not the person i was in college so i mean i don't know how many versions of me are just going to come around but what do i think of it i have not been in control of these things uh, i mean it's not like i had a choice so i knew what i would turn out to be i've been fairly open and malleable towards different opportunities different experiences and all of that and i guess the person you know in college is not who i am in, as a as a as an outcome of that but i have no regrets i think i think to me is just as long as you keep those very basic pillars intact that you have that relationship and link to family you have that relationship link to people you care about your friends you take care of yourself and you check once in a while that you're taking care of yourself in some ways you're grounded whatever your definition of grounded is but you're grounded and uh, i'm always been ambitious in that matter so these four five things have always been there and everything else is manifest in different ways i think i'm fine with that as long as these few things remain intact um and i don't know how i've changed um it's when people tell me that i've changed is when i get to know of it so i'm not as aware of it i guess but i'm certainly not afraid of it i'm fine and i know as long as i keep these few things intact it's good i'm not hurting anyone i'm not and and i guess that's fine <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think that's what it is
and i don't think anyone is what they are and if they are then either they rigidly holding on to uh, whatever sense they think they should be or they want to be or someone else want them to be or they just been a been in a under a rock where there's nothing which has moved around them there's no change in their own scenarios and their own experience in their own places so certainly happy that i'm not under a rock <laughs> when i said change i meant in a in a good way yeah and i would have hoped so um and 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 I, yeah i would have hoped so like yeah i think i think those four pillars or four five pillars i have is also just to make sure that tweaks are always in the good manner and you need those pillars so that you just don't go a bit berserk or a bit out of control or you just don't care about others yeah um yeah i think it's an outcome of that when when But, we have this conversation uh, 10 years from now yeah. will will i be speaking to a politician go no you certainly won't be speaking to a politician dude i can't do that man you can't be a public face and also enjoy your life or you got to have two lives which i don't want to honestly have but uh, yeah i mean politics is very much there because i think it really is an important part of india and indian uh, way of functioning indian law is politics is hugely important so i do yes want to participate in it in some manner i don't know as a donor or i don't know as i i have no clue in what manner but yeah i think i would be in 10 years for sure be some form of a participant in political life but quite certain not as a politician yeah um, yeah so i think that's that man thanks a ton for for doing this it's been a fun yeah this is this, no this is this has been fun just conversing i mean honestly it's like conversations we should be having with people you can connect to irrespective if it's a podcast or not yeah but it should be interesting and i think you should just compile it all and share it with all of our friends it's a great way to catch up with what everyone's doing also yeah um so yeah i'll wait for what to come see you bye see you soon see you soon bye 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 thanks for tuning in i hope you enjoyed the conversation If you'd like to hear more of such stories, do let me know. See you in the next one.